0: Hi, Ashley. Hello, Candy. And Happy New Year because it's right around the corner. Yes, it is. So guys, we are not actually here this week. We Mm -hmm. have something special planned for you for this episode. We do. But we wanted to give you a brief little introduction first. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen is we are actually going to be re-sharing with you our White Christmas episodes Through her magical editing skills, Mm -hmm. Ashley has put together parts one and two. And so that's going to play in a minute. But beforehand, we just wanted to share with you something special that will accompany and we hope make this episode a little more special.
1: Right. It's a little tie-in for you. So the reason we chose this particular rewind episode is because i took a solo field trip well mm-hmm. solo myself and brian it was sans you unfortunately you couldn't make it but there was this thing that i stumbled across called the holly jolly days at the Beringer crawford museum and i thought well that fits with our podcast mm-hmm. but something else that fit with our podcast really well is they had an exhibit about white christmas nice. and this is directly from their website it says Rekindle memories and make new ones with the magic and merriment of the iconic 1954 film White Christmas at the Barringer Crawford Museum this holiday season. Irving Berlin's White Christmas, The Exhibit, Opens November 12th, so so it's been open for a while, with costumes created by the legendary designer Edith Head, which we still need to do yeah. an episode about, and worn by Kentucky legend Rosemary Clooney, Bing Crosby, Vera Ellen, Danny Kaye, among other stars. Studio props, sheet music, cast members' personal memorabilia, oh and more goodness. will be on display. So we will be sure to include the Beringer Crawford Museum in our show notes so that if you would like to, in this week between... Christmas and New Year, Mm -hmm. if you're looking for something to do, I highly recommend visiting this museum. It was only about eight dollars for admission. You could stay Mm -hmm.
0: as long as it was open. Very reasonable. Very
1: reasonable. And it was so cool because it had something for everybody. It had toy trains for kids. It had the a holiday Barbie collection Mm -hmm. if you were interested in that. And it had this exhibit with all of these white Christmas costumes and memorabilia. And I took tons of photographs which I will put on our Facebook page oh, and nice. I'll put on our show notes so that will be fresh but the reason we went on this particular day is because Heather French Henry was going to be there giving a talk about mm-hmm. all of the costumes because she is actually the curator of the Rosemary Clooney house.
0: Which I did not know until you shared that with me. Right,
1: right. She has made it kind of, and this is really, this really moved me because she said one of her reasons for wanting to do this Rosemary Clooney house and to purchase, so she purchased Rosemary Clooney's old, old home. It's kind of turned it into a museum. And it has been her thank you because the second phone call she received, if, if you all don't remember, Heather French Henry was our, our Kentucky Miss America in the year 2000. Mm. The second phone call she got was from Rosemary Clooney. Because mm. Rosemary Clooney, according to Heather, said she knew what it was like to kind of come from a very small town and be thrust into the national spotlight. And how hard that could be. So she called her every single week that she was Miss America that whole year, the that year 2000. That is amazing and this was heather's way of just repaying that kindness mm-hmm. and kind of keeping rosemary's legacy going so i thought that was a beautiful story I love that story. and their friendship was so so beautiful but i was so impressed she walked in there and she gave an off-the-cuff talk about all of these costumes for 35 solid minutes i wow. mean she and knows it was, her stuff she did and it was supposed to be something where she would kind of walk around the rooms and talk to everybody but there were so many people there to see her it was standing room only so she from memory just said well in this room, you're going to see this. And then moving into this room, you're going to see this. And she went through the whole exhibit from memory and told you little bits and tidbits about each almost every piece of costuming, which I thought was, I was, I was so impressed by her Mm -hmm. and we got to meet her afterwards and she was so kind and so down to earth and all the good things you've heard about her are, are true. She's a wonderful person.
0: That just sounds like an amazing experience for you guys, but also what a great exhibit. I would be so interested to see all of the costumes and that Mm -hmm. memorabilia. Mm -hmm.
1: It was a very, very nice museum. I, 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 wish we could have spent more time there, but we had, we had somewhere else to be that evening, but I highly recommend going there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and the way you described it, you know, you could send the kids over here. They could look at the toy trains and the (laughs) Barbies, and you could be over here in this exhibit.
1: Looking at all the exhibits. And can I just say, Vera Ellen was so tiny Mm. 18 inch waist oh my goodness yes
0: wow yeah well I think that is fascinating and I love that as a tie-in to Mm -hmm. this rewind episode to switch gears yes just just a
1: bit to play the sad music yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) I also wanted to take this opportunity we both did actually to to offer a brief correction Mm -hmm. so here's our correction corner I realized Right after recording the episode on our a Christmas story sequel, Christmas, mm-hmm. yes, that I misspoke. I, well, I forgot a detail that was super important, and I think I even said it. It was during my cat's eye story, and I remember commenting, "I'm not sure if I have my details right." I didn't. As soon as I got home, I was like, "Oh my goodness, I left out my dear friend Jennifer." We actually went to elementary school together for a few years, and mm-hmm. then we we both moved away, and we reconnected in college, mm-hmm. and we have been friends ever since and her her husband Rocky they're they're both dear friends. And so, I'm listening back to my telling of the story and realize you the forgot. most important detail is you that forgot. Jennifer was the one who found ah. that game for us. Went out of her way, went on a search and so. Big shout out to Jennifer. I'm so sorry that I forgot that in my first telling and by the way, love you and Rocky. Mm. All right. Thank so you. So,
1: my correction is that I Remember, I very pridefully, pride, pride goeth before a fall, but I very <laughs> pridefully said, well, they had a continuity error because the little girl was wearing her eye patch, then she wasn't, and then she was re- re-wearing it when they did the thing with the stump and the the snowmobile. So on second watch because I watched it again with Brian mm-hmm. a few days after you and I did that that watch for the show, I realized that the reason she wasn't wearing it is because her brother was drawing a white like with paint, he was drawing an eyeball on the eye patch for her. Ah. So, so that's why she didn't have it on. It was intentional. It was completely <laughs> intentional. And I completely just There was a great joke it. there. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> joke. And it went over my head. Now, her eyes did look perfectly fine. They weren't bloodshot, nothing like that. So I, I could die on the hill and say, oh, it was <laughs> called I'm not going to. I'm just going to say I was full on wrong. They knew what they were doing. I should have known they knew what they were doing. So yes that's my correction so sorry to those lovely people who made a perfect film when i said it there's one problem no there's not there's no problems
0: well now that we have that off our chest yes, and we
1: can enter the new year unencumbered (laughs) that's right yes
0: I think the only thing left to do is just to say to our listeners, guys, we love you. We hope you have had an amazing holiday season Mm -hmm. so far. And we are wishing you the best new year ever.
1: Yes. And as the old joke goes, see you next year. But before we do leave you, I have a little surprise for you guys. And we have an audio clip to play before we go into the episode. So enjoy.
2: Hi, everyone. This is Heather French-Henry, curator of the Rosemary Clooney House Museum in Augusta, Kentucky, which houses the famous White Christmas Costume Collection. I'm delighted you're listening to Candy and Ashley today on the Scandal Water podcast as they highlight Irving Berlin's White Christmas, one of the most beloved holiday classic films. My family is delighted to add some extra sparkle to everyone's holidays by showcasing our White Christmas Costume Collection at the Beringer Crawford Museum this season, now through January 8th. Each holiday season, we travel the collection to to museums across the country, which allows us to bring the collection to thousands of fans who may never get to visit it at the Rosemary Clooney House Museum. In the collection, you'll view amazing costumes like the famous Blue Sisters dresses, costumes worn by Vera Ellen, Rosemary Clooney, Bean Crosby, and more. Along with the costumes, we also have other production pieces and vintage lobby posters and cards. So come on out and see the amazing collection at the Berenger Crawford Museum in Covington, Kentucky, beautifully situated at the top of Davoe Park, overlooking the River Valley. We hope you enjoy this spectacular collection as part of their Holly Jolly Days. So, from all of us at the Rosemary Clooney House Museum to you, Merry Christmas and have a Happy New Year. Welcome to Scandal Water,
1: where the tea is hot and the conversation lively.
0: Your hosts, Candy
1: and Ashley, will
0: discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale.
2: Oh, it's a it's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears stories about the stage and screen and everything in between so come on and join
0: Ashley. Hi (laughs) Gandy. I'm excited about our new recording studio. here. (laughs) not it beautiful? I I tried to set the tone for you. It looks I feel like it looks very cozy. For our listeners we normally record in Ashley's office but she has moved us into her library area and Mm -hmm. it is just filled with ambiance. It is so pretty all kinds of books and nicely lit lamps and it's just a really nice space. It's very cozy. All right. Well, are we ready to jump into another one of our holiday episodes? I am. I'm I'm very excited about this one because <laughs> this
1: is the one I got to know about and I did a little bit of homework. I think we're gonna have a very interesting conversation.
0: <laughs> awesome. I love it. To start, Ashley, I'm gonna test your knowledge again. Okay. I do this to you a lot. <laughs>
1: you do. You could tell people can tell you're a teacher. But I
0: thought that our listeners might like to play along on this. So here's what I'm gonna request. Okay. Okay. What we're going to do is the game I'm making up this game okay but it's based on ones we've seen on tv of course anyway it's test your lyric knowledge so I'm going to give you a couple of lines of a song and I'm going to ask you to give me the next line or two to see if you can continue it all right but I'm going to ask you not to jump in really fast because in case our listeners want to try to do it themselves sure we'll kind of put just a little pause there and then they can they can see if they can come up with it or if they want to hit pause on their you know device they could do that Mm -hmm. but I thought it might be fun I'm
1: all for it let's try it
0: all right here we go. Sisters, sisters, there were never such devoted sisters.
1: Uh, something about somebody trying to separate us and they can't. I don't know. <laughs> okay, it's
0: tr- I think this one's hard. It is hard. Okay. The next two lines are never had to have a chaperone. No, no sir. sir. I'm here to keep my eye on her. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Are we ready? Yes. Here's the second one. When I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep, and I fall asleep counting my blessings when my bankroll... What? I could have told you if you hadn't kept going. When my
1: bankroll is looking slim, I don't know. Okay. See, this
0: is really hard. It is hard. All right. When my bankroll is getting small, I think of when... I I had had none at all? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And I... Fall asleep counting my blessings? Excellent. Okay. Okay. All right, number three. Snow, 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 snow. It won't be long before we'll all be there with snow. Snow, snow. I'll wash my hair with snow. You're very close. And that might be a a second verse. I don't know. I think it
1: is. She says something and then it's, I'll wash my hair with snow.
0: Yeah. The way I have it right here is to finish out that line. It was snow, snow. I want to wash my hands, my face, and hair with snow. Uh Snow. I long to clear a path and lift a spade of snow. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I've done terribly. This is shameful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, here's the last one. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Mm-hmm. Oh, Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. Right?
0: Yes. Okay, good. Okay, all right. <laughs> I've redeemed it a little bit. Okay. So you already knew the topic, but I surely did. by now our listeners probably have already figured out as well that Why our topic Christmas. today is White Christmas. Yes, yes. I mean, one of the classics. It is very much. Ashley and I had talked about this because it is such a well known, classic, beloved film, we thought we would make this particular episode a big one. In fact, we're anticipating we're probably gonna have to break this into two parts because we're gonna start at the very beginning. We're not just gonna jump into the movie. We're gonna back it up and we're gonna talk about how this origin story the, right From the beginning. how did this whole thing come about? So I am going all the way back to the song and Irving Berlin. Yes, all right here we go. Do you already have a lot of background knowledge about the song Ashley or or the uh, the composer?
1: No, not in this case. I, I don't know why he wrote it. For some reason, I'm thinking maybe he wrote it in July. I don't know why I'm thinking that. That's mm-hmm. But no, I don't know. That's why I'm kind of excited to know. The only thing I know about White Christmas is... The film and also the play, which is why it's super shameful that I could not get those lyrics <laughs> because I co-directed
0: the play, and of course I've seen the film. But you didn't have to sing the songs or learn no, the songs, and no. that makes
1: a difference. It does.
0: Yeah, you have a lot more to think about when you're directing and producing. That's
1: true. Thanks for thanks for
0: salvaging me. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about Irving Berlin. He was actually one of America's greatest composers. Mm-hmm. He was a Russian Jewish immigrant who could not read or write music notation. No kidding. But managed to compose over 1,000 songs. And several of the sources like labeled him as being the person who was the foundation of our American songbook. So he could not, say that again, he could not read or write music notation
1: meaning he could not write music
0: or read music I'm assuming yes that he did it by ear or that he see I can't read music or write music either but yet I'm not
1: Irving Berlin (laughs) so this is a definite gift I would like to have that talent very specifically but no I don't have it
0: very impressive he is known for songs such as Easter Parade No Business Like Show Business God Bless America and of course White Christmas Mm -hmm. in fact one of the articles pointed out that white christmas is probably one of his simplest songs there are only 54 words and only 67 he referred to it as now classic notes in that song but it is one of the most popular christmas songs of all time there is a news anchor charles osgood many years ago was talking about this and he is quoted as saying that white christmas is irving berlin's most enduring legacy because quote No song captures the spirit of the season better than White Christmas. Yeah, it
1: really does. It's very, even though it's simple, it has has beautiful imagery.
0: Oh, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because some of the interviews were with Irving Berlin's daughter, Linda Emmett, and so she gave a lot of insights. Some of this came from her, some of this came from a researcher who wrote a book about Irving Berlin, but here are some interesting things about him. First of all, they both pointed out, the author of this book and his daughter, that because he was a Russian Jew, Irving Berlin really didn't connect to Christmas as a religious holiday. Okay. His daughter Linda said, quote, I think for my father that Christmas was an American holiday more than anything else. It was certainly nothing he was exposed to, to say the least, in mm-hmm. Russia. Mm-hmm. And so she explained that in her household, they were excited about Christmas. They had the Christmas tree, they had the Christmas stockings, the turkey, plum pudding, the whole deal, including what she called a general cheery atmosphere. And she said it was something that they as kids looked forward to tremendously. But again, because her father was a Russian Jewish immigrant, she said that for him, Christmas was not a religious holiday. It was a cultural one. Yeah, there's not any religious lyrics in White Christmas. Mm-hmm. No. It's, it's secular lyrics. Yeah. In terms of what prompted it, it, there's actually a lot of mystery behind it. Linda does not know when or where her father wrote it. Nobody can pin it down. Oh, I guess my July theory was totally wrong. Well, but but you know, you never know because yeah. here's here's what she said. She thinks it was written in either 1938 or 1939. She said possibly in Arizona or maybe in New York or maybe he worked on it in both places. Uh-huh. But a different theory that they put out was that Irving Berlin might have written it over Christmas 1937, which was when he was separated from his family working on a movie called Alexander's Ragtime Band. And so he was in Beverly Hills alone, away from his family. that makes sense. So some people think that's when he did Mm -hmm. it. Either way, everybody agrees that he originally wrote the song. He intended it to be for this Broadway musical review that was going to be about American holidays, and it never was produced. But... Paramount pictures like oh. that idea later picked it up and Holiday Inn later yes okay. kind of turned into Holiday Inn okay we'll get back to that one of course later but we do know the one thing they agree on is that he wrote the song sometime in the late 30s but it wasn't until later that something happened with it so again here's a nice quote this is from the author Jody Rosen who wrote the book White Christmas the Story of an American Song so Jody says and it wasn't until a couple years later over the Christmas season of 1940 into 1941 One, I believe that he kind of took the song, the half finished song out of what he called his song trunk. That's cute. (laughs) And it's great because several people mentioned this that Irving Berlin would just start songs and he would tuck it away and then he would pull it out later when he wanted to use it. I kind of have
1: that in writing. I have little notebooks that I'll have ideas for just an idea for a sketch or a couple lines or a line of dialogue. Mm -hmm. And then I just put them in this little notebook and I go back to them.
0: Yeah, it's like all these like, you know, germs of ideas Mm -hmm, that you mm -hmm. don't want to lose. So you Mm -hmm. have to capture them. But but I love that. Well, I mean, I guess if you're going to compose a thousand songs, you better have a lot of ideas, right? (laughs) But anyway, so Rosen continues by saying, over that Christmas season that year, Berlin rewrote the Lyric. And it was then, after he'd written it, that he came into his song publishing offices and announced to his musical secretary, I've just written a new song. Not only is it the best song I've ever written, it's the best song anybody's ever (laughs) written. And it was a white Christmas. (laughs)
1: He's very humble about it, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then Jody Rosen went on to say that he felt one of the most surprising things was not just the popularity of white Christmas, but the fact that it was actually kind of a blues song. Hmm. Like if you consider how it comes across, it's kind of melancholy. Mm -hmm. It really is. And they have a theory, several people have a theory about this. This was in many articles. Rosen is quoted as saying, I think this really makes it stand out amongst kind of chirpy seasonal standards, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Let It Snow. And he said, I think it's one of the reasons why people keep responding to it, because our feelings over the holiday season are ambivalent. Mm. So that the part that I was actually getting to, their theory about why it was melancholy is a lot of people think that it was because Berlin was thinking about his son, who had died on Christmas Day in 1928. Oh, oh. He was only three weeks old. And so every year on December 25th, he and his wife would visit their baby's grave. Oh, my goodness. And so a lot of people think that white Christmas actually um, kind of is almost like a tribute to a son. Oh. or Yeah, and that's why I guess it's that, so that, sad sounding. That does make
1: a lot of sense because it, the first lines are, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think it's saying I'm dreaming of a way of things the way they used to be. So maybe mm-hmm. prior to the baby's death, when when life was happy and had promise and things like that, maybe? Maybe,
0: yeah. To finish out this quote from Rosen, he said, the kind of deep secret of the song may be that it was Berlin responding in some way to his melancholy about the death of his son. Mm. So what you said would fit with that. Here's the part I had no idea. You know, I just always thought White Christmas the song came out in the movie White Christmas. Mm-hmm. Well, long before any of that, White Christmas the song premiered on the radio at Christmas time in 1941, just 18 days after Pearl Harbor. Oh, the song aired on Bing Crosby's radio show. I was going to ask, was Bing mm-hmm. the first one to sing uh, it? Yes, that he was, was. A, that was a meeting of <laughs> magic right there, exactly. And so Bing's radio show was the Kraft Music Hall radio show because, of course, it was sponsored by Kraft. Mm-hmm. And the exact date was December twenty fifth, nineteen forty one. So that's when the song first came out. But it was a little limited, right? It was over the radio. It wasn't mm-hmm. like it immediately sprung into all this popularity. Mm-hmm. But eight months later was when moviegoers got to see and hear Bing Crosby perform the song in the film *Holiday Holiday Inn*, Inn. which was another performance that elevated the song, of course, to the next level. I
1: actually saw the DVD for *Holiday Inn* at the dollar store yesterday. Oh, did you? I was in there just getting a couple groceries, and I walked past their their uh, Christmas DVD rack, and *Holiday Inn* was there. And it's the I just it struck me, and maybe we'll talk about this how odd it is that the same song was performed in. Two different films that he was in and and how this the films are sort of the same mm-hmm. but not because it was fred astaire i read the back of it to mm-hmm. remind myself it was fred astaire and him and marjorie reynolds maybe I but so. they were fighting over this girl she was very mm-hmm. beautiful but then it, it was a it was an inn that being crosby's character owned instead of general
0: waverly and they just performed on the holidays. Have you seen the movie? Long time ago. Okay. Yes. I've never seen it.
1: Some people prefer it to
0: White Christmas. Well, I looked up a summary of Holiday Inn since I had not seen the movie myself, Mm -hmm. and here's what it said on Wikipedia. Jim Hardy, played by Bing Crosby, and Ted Hanover, who's played by Fred Astaire, Mm -hmm. have been vaudeville partners for many years. But when Ted announces that he and Jim's girlfriend, dancer Lila Dixon, are going to set off on their own jim decides the time has come to retire he buys himself a farmhouse in new england and settles into the country life but soon realizes that he has an opportunity to do something special he decides to open his inn to the public but only on major holidays Things are going well for him until his old partner, Ted, shows up and sets his sight on Jim's new friend, Linda Mason, who is, as you said, played by Marjorie Reynolds. Oh, I got the name right. You did get it right. Yeah. A different summary was helpful to me because it gave a different little twist to it. Here's here's another short summary. Holiday Inn, however, centers on Jim, a man who has left show business behind to settle down on his farmhouse in Connecticut. Looking to shake things up with a bit of song and dance, Jim meets Linda... A talented schoolteacher. Together, they turn the farmhouse into a fabulous inn with dazzling performances to celebrate every holiday from Thanksgiving to the 4th of July. Mm. And I like this summary because as I was doing my research, that was one of the things that I kept noticing was they talked about how one of the differences between the mo- two movies, because mm-hmm. because that was a point that came up was there were so many similarities, mm-hmm. but one of the differences was that White Christmas will be so focused on Christmas. the Christmas holiday, mm-hmm. whereas this one actually was almost like a musical review of mm-hmm. all the holidays. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, well, that's a key yeah that's a key contrast there
1: also as someone who has been on the ground floor of founding a theater it it just brings me no end of delight when it's just like oh an innkeeper and a talented teacher (laughs) decided to get together and do these shows and it's like it was immediately a success (laughs) and we toiled for years you know it's just like oh great mickey and judy put on a show in a barn and it was great
0: if only life did work
1: that
2: way no it doesn't wouldn't that be great
0: (laughs) Well, before we continue, why don't we take a little break? Sounds good to me. Hi,
2: I'm Matt C. Adams of Hired Hand Studios.
0: When my talented
1: and knowledgeable friends Ashley and Candy asked me if I'd be interested in helping them with some artwork for their
2: podcast, I was more than happy to lend a hand. If you ever find yourself needing a hand, artistically speaking, then you should hire me, the Hired Hand.
0: You can reach me through the Hired Hand Studios Facebook page, Or send me an email at
1: matthhs at gmail.com. That's matthhs, as in Hired Hand Studios, at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for listening, and I look forward to hearing from you. So, as Ashley had already said, of course, this this movie also introduced the song White Christmas. And, you know, both movies are going to end up having this song in it. It did take it to a broader audience. It was originally intended to be sung by someone else. Really? One of the female leads. I bet mm-hmm. Bing was like,
1: no, this is my song. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they Check did... my contract. The very fine print says my song. <laughs> well, it did not say who decided, but they did mention that Berlin gave the song to Crosby <laughs> and that it became a classic. And, oh, this is so cute. Irving Berlin ended up winning an Academy Award for the song, the, wow. in, the, the version that's in Holiday Inn. And... This is so cool. It is the only time in history that an Oscar presenter ever opened an envelope and read his own name as the winner. He presented his Oscar to himself.
1: They must not have thought he was gonna win.
0: I, I have no idea. Or they thought this is gonna be the cutest ruse ever. But it was but it was adorable. That because is cute. He, what he opens the envelope, yeah. he's the winner, and it says that he joked with the audience and said I'm glad to present the award. I've known him for a long time. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah. But here's what I found really interesting. It was not actually even the performance in this movie that's what propelled White Christmas the Song to the success that that it ultimately gained. It was a more unexpected audience that did it. Who? The
1: military. Ah, the military. The men in mm. uniform.
0: Yeah. Jody Rosen again, the author of that book. Here's his quote. It was, meaning the song, kind of the centerpiece of the film, the center, he said. But critics didn't take much notice of it. And it was only when Armed Forces Radio began to play the song overseas and for American troops who found its images of the kind of Christmas on the home front so appealing. Mm. It was 1942, the first winter that American troops had spent overseas. So these images of snowy American, New Englandy Christmases really spoke to the longing, nostalgia, and homesickness of the troops for their homeland and for the sweethearts and wives and mothers and fathers they'd left behind. It was the enthusiasm of these troops that really propelled the song and made it a hit.
1: That's a, that's that's neat. And it also makes a lot of sense why when they went on and did White Christmas, the film, that they started him singing it at the very top of the... Very top of it Mm -hmm. in a military situation. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely, Mm -hmm. yeah. The war ends up playing a huge part in that movie. We're going (laughs) to come back to that a little bit more later. But it was it was interesting. The song was requested so much by the troops that Bing felt a little uncomfortable about it. Remember, he would do. He was great about doing all those USO appearances overseas, and so he would go over there. He would perform Uh for them. And they requested it so much that he said he was hesitant to do it because Why? he was afraid it would cause such nostalgic yearning, That oh. those were his words, among the men, that it would make them sad. But then, this is what he said in an interview... He said, heaven knows I didn't come that far to make them sad. For this reason, several times I tried to cut it out of the show. But these guys just hollered for it. Yeah. That's what ended up really pushing it forward and making it the huge hit that the song became. In fact, one interview I saw talked about this woman who went out with her uncle, and they bought the sheet music to that song right before he went overseas uh-huh. himself. And then after he was killed in the oh. war, that was one of the things that she kept because it was meaningful. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was So it sounds fun. like,
1: from what I'm gathering, it sounds like from the origin of the writing of the song, like sometimes when you pour your emotions into something that transcends it. So if indeed he did write this out of grief and of times gone by for the death Mm -hmm. of his son, it sounds like that whatever chord he struck of melancholy and Mm -hmm. of longing, the same people who are in that situation of loss and losing friends and missing their family and missing the way things Mm -hmm. used to be. It just resonated. It struck that same human emotional chord.
0: Absolutely. I'm kind of spoiler alerting, but this song has sold over like 50 million copies. It, it has been recorded by It was the number one artists. song
1: up until Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. It was the number one single, I think, Christmas single. I think um Candle in the Wind maybe have
0: overtaken it. I think you're right. It was, I believe, um Elton John. Elton John, thank you. It does say in my notes that it's the best-selling Christmas song of all time. And also the best-selling single ever, according to the Guinness Book of World Records.
1: Really? And Mariah? I thought Mariah's took that
0: over. Well, maybe my source was outdated. Maybe. We'll have to check that one. Okay, we will. Should we take a break before we go on? Sure, let's do it. And we are back. So during the break,
1: I looked it up. As of November 2016... The holiday single with the most digital downloads is Mariah Carey's Mm -hmm. 1994 song, All I Want for Christmas is You. However, Bing still holds the record for the best-selling Christmas single. Yeah. All
0: right. I'm I'm glad we figured that out. Yes.
1: That would have bothered me.
0: (laughs) So, as we said... White Christmas was such a hit that Irving Berlin was inspired to write an entire movie about it. So did he write the movie or he wrote the songs for the movie? Well, okay, great clarification. He did not write the movie script, but he would create all the songs. Gotcha. So basically he would... He was very instrumental in creating the plot of the movie as well okay. because of that. Paramount was obviously all on board with this too. They had they had it in mind that they were gonna take advantage of the success of Holiday Inn as well, and of course the success of the song. So this is what inspired them to move on to White Christmas, the movie. Here's what it said in one article. Writing high on the reception of Holiday Inn, Paramount hoped to repeat their success with White Christmas. And considered it a loose remake of the earlier film. Right. In fact, the studio opted to use the exact same farmhouse in both pictures. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the point you made earlier, I did want to jump into it back then, but you were dead on. I even read an entire article that basically said it was phrased more eloquently than this, but it was basically like, okay, these two movies are so much alike. Let's try to compare and contrast Uh them to really pull apart how Uh they might differ because they were very similar. In fact, it was intended that they were going to use the same actors. They wanted, oh yeah. They they just straight up said, let's just redo it. And put a tiny different spin on it and see if we can't sell Mm. it again. Yeah. For sure. Well, I
1: guess if they didn't have VCR back then, and they didn't have a play a way to rescreen something,
0: you could just make the same movie and re-show it. Why not? Why not? Yeah, new songs, new twist. Yeah. But we're going to save our conversation about White Christmas for our next episode. Okay. Armchair psychologist. So to end this one, Ashley, I thought I would ask you, that part about the song being melancholy, being bluesy, that's intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts about Christmas songs being melancholy like that? Well, Christmas Eve has always been my favorite holiday, Mm -hmm.
1: and I'm kind of a melancholy person. I mean, you wouldn't know it from the podcast because, I mean, you just wouldn't know it. But I tend to look on the more melancholy side of things. So Christmas Eve to me is still when there's all this hope and all Mm -hmm. the movies happen on Christmas Eve, and there's so much goodness that can still happen on Christmas Day. I get really depressed Mm -hmm. because it's the end of Christmas things you know now the decorations are going to come down now we go into the dreary january and things don't really pick up in kentucky at least until maybe march Mm -hmm. so you're looking through this dreary to come i wish we could keep christmas lights up through february or till daylight savings ends or (laughs) whatever because they just have so much holiday cheer and I just feel like it's also a time of reflection. Mm -hmm. What have I done this year? How have I treated people this year? How have I been as a person this year? And sometimes you don't measure up and you think, oh, I should have done better, which is leading into the resolutions and all that, all that kind of stuff.
0: I just feel mm, I can
1: understand the melancholy Mm -hmm. of the
0: holidays. Yeah, that was a really thoughtful response, especially when you just got hit with this question (laughs) out of the blue. What it made me think about was he had made the comment about other songs being so cheery and so (laughs) chirpy. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's true. Like a lot of our songs are very upbeat because they're about the anticipation of Mm -hmm. Christmas. You kind of named it, right? Mm -hmm. We have like six or eight weeks of anticipation and the joy Mm -hmm. and the excitement and Christmas is coming. And I think White Christmas is more, it taps more into the nostalgia Mm -hmm. and the feelings Mm -hmm. and memories of childhood Christmases. Mm -hmm. And as I think you used the word, or somebody did, uh, you know, longing and Mm -hmm. yearning. And some people
1: don't have good memories of Christmas because they don't get along with their family. Mm, And they're sad at Christmas because there isn't that family connection and they're going to be alone. And it's just, it heightens whatever emotion you're feeling throughout the year it's kind of like you repress everything but Christmas brings it out
0: Mm. and makes you face it that's interesting yeah I really see why white Christmas is such a a lasting classic song Mm -hmm. when you stop and think about it it may be simple but it does touch your emotions Mm -hmm. it really Mm -hmm. makes you stop it makes you think it's just a beautiful song.
1: It really is. And now that I know that stuff about his son, that makes it even more poignant to me. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. Well, let's end on that note, Ashley. All right. Who would you like to cheers? Let's cheers to Irving Berlin, mm-hmm. the composer of that beautiful song, mm-hmm. and to Bing Crosby for doing such a wonderful job singing it. Did.
1: He did. They used to say that he had a voice of like liquid gold.
0: Mm. It was. and in, in that song, I would agree. Yes. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. We are back. Today we're going to finish our two-part focus on White Christmas, and we're going to dig into the film today. Ooh, that's exciting. So so actually, let's start by just hearing a little bit of your impressions of the movie. I don't
1: know if you want to start
0: with that. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. So let
1: me just start this show off with a blanket apology to all people who love the character of Betty Haynes she drives me bonkers (laughs) not rosemary clooney rosemary clooney is a lovely woman and she only said the words that the writer wrote down for her not my friend charla who is a lovely woman who played this character the written betty haynes drives me crazy (laughs) she drives me crazy and i've got i've got a few little if we get to that i i I watched the film a couple nights ago and i made notes of specifically incidences where she drove me zonkers
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> Betty Get Ready.
1: Betty Get Ready. It's it's a perfectly delightful film up until the housekeeper overhears. Oh. And that false conflict comes in to play. Can- so Any time that you can have a conversation and it would cure the conflict, mm-hmm. it's not a
0: real conflict. There you go. That's it. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well now I'm looking forward to hearing <laughs> you rip into Betty. So okay. again, not
1: Rosemary, not Charla,
0: the written Betty Haynes. Okay, okay, good. All right. Got something to look forward to. Yes. Jumping back in, we we spent a lot of time last time talking about the lead-in, right? The creation of the song, how the song elevated through to popularity through the troops it's premiering in the movie holiday inn and now we're ready to talk about white christmas the film the musical itself and so i'm not sure if our listeners are aware of this but many articles refer to it as one of the all-time great musicals one of the most popular of course we all know this Mm -hmm. holiday movies of all time Mm -hmm. but at the time it came out it was the highest grossing film of 1954 it earned 12 million dollars wow It was the biggest hit of director Michael Curtis's career. The co-stars being Crosby and Danny Kaye were ranked at that time number one and number three box office stars in the country. Wow. They had great chemistry in the film. Oh, they did. And the song White Christmas, at that time, the movie came out, was already the most successful song in American history. Right. That that probably helped it a whole lot. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so what it said in one of the articles was that, of course, we know Irving Berlin had written that song way before Mm -hmm. and Bing Crosby had performed it on the radio on Christmas Day of 1941. All of those things had happened, the hit movie, etc. But it was a no-brainer, of course, for Hollywood to capitalize on that. So... As early as 1949, which is five years before the movie is actually released, oh, yeah. yeah, the movie White Christmas was already in preparation at well, yeah. Paramount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as we've already said, their idea was... To just kind of showcase Irving Berlin tunes and reunite the stars of Holiday Inn, Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire, recycle the parts of the earlier film that had worked, but mix in some new stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, they were even going to kind of steal some elements from an unproduced musical that Irving Berlin had written before with Norman Krasner called Stars on My Shoulders. Mm. And they were going to turn this, this story into the screenplay. But everything almost fell apart. Because they had this project envisioned as a trilogy. They were going to have like these buddy musicals starring Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. Did Fred retire? Mm -hmm. Oh, Fred, you (laughs) broke up the band. That's right. So they'd already teamed up for Holiday Inn in 1942. They had done Blue Skies in 1946. So White Christmas was supposed to be their third buddy picture it was supposed to be this big reunion yeah Mm -hmm. but as you just said fred astaire turned the project down what fred what are you thinking well supposedly it was they're not sure if it was just lack of interest or just concern that he might be getting a little too old to do such a big film like that yeah yeah but another source said that fred astaire didn't like the script. So I'm not sure. Well, what the maybe truth me is. and
1: Fred will be the only two on the. <laughs> maybe didn't like he's on, Betty. He didn't like Betty.
0: Because <laughs> as
1: you're saying this, like it's the biggest hit in the world. I'm like, well, I can be one person that gets a thousand. I guess.
0: <laughs> so what happened was when Fred Astaire backed out, Paramount replaced him with Donald Connor. Yeah, that's who I think would be adorable in this because of Singing in the Rain. Exactly. He had just come out of that. But then he had to pull out because he got sick too close to the production start date. So that's when they turned to Danny Kay. And according to this author named David Leopold, I guess is how you would say it, Danny Kay asked for this huge paycheck, $200,000 plus 10% of the gross, thinking that they would turn him down. And they gave it to him? They gave it to him. Good for you, Danny Kay. Yeah. So he was in, right?
1: And wait, wait, you said ten percent of the gross? Mm-hmm. Man, you could retire off of that.
0: Right? But then they almost lost Being Crosby no. too <laughs> oh, no. because in January of nineteen fifty three, when Fred Astaire decided to back out of the project, Crosby was thinking maybe he didn't want to do the film. Oh. He was going to take time off to be with his son following the death of Bing Crosby's wife, actress Dixie Lee. But then sometime later that same month, he decided he would stick it out, and they went ahead and moved forward like mm-hmm. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Once it started, Irving Berlin felt great about it. He wrote a letter to his friend, Irving Hoffman, and here's a quote. It is the first movie that I've been connected with since Holiday Inn that has the feel of a Broadway musical. Usually, there's little enthusiasm once you get over the first week of a picture. But the change in this setup has resulted in an excitement that I am sure will be reflected in the finished job. In any event, as of today, I feel great and very much like an opening in Philadelphia with a show.
1: Wow. I bet a lot of that has to do with Danny Kaye. Because he was just full
0: of energy. Oh, yes. Full
1: of energy. He really drove the the... He steamrolled through that. Part.
0: Yeah. I, I saw several things in different sources about how much fun he was mm-hmm. always joking, his mm-hmm. energy. I mean, I think everybody loved him. Yeah. Well, in case you've never seen White Christmas, the movie, which I find hard to believe. <laughs> so Anybody's why would never you be listening to this? Yet, Right. But here's the IMBD summary. <laughs> Having left the army following World War II, Bob Wallace and Phil Davis team up to become a top song and dance act. Davis plays matchmaker and introduces Wallace to a pair of beautiful sisters Betty and Judy, who also have a song and dance act. When Betty and Judy traveled to a Vermont lodge to perform a Christmas show, Wallace and Davis follow only to find their former commander, General Waverly, as the lodge owner. A series of romantic mix-ups ensue as the performers Those try to help mix-ups. the general. Those are
1: not mix-ups. <laughs>
0: well, to support what you've been saying, there there were several people who said they felt the plot was a little thin. You think? Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, again, to fill in a, a little bit of the gaps, because the general's about to go out of business because there's no snow, mm-hmm. the four performers decide they have to put on a show to save the inn and guess what happens <laughs> it's a
1: success <laughs> yes ah!
0: <laughs> and they get to sing a lot of beautiful irving berlin songs yeah. An interesting little tidbit is that Paramount chose White Christmas to be its very first movie produced in VistaVision. I do.
1: I have that in my note. Oh, yes. Cool. Opening thing, Paramount presents first picture in VistaVision.
0: Which was a big deal at the yeah. time. It was their widescreen answer to Cinemascope, apparently. Mm-hmm. And it was such a big deal that the New York Times talked about the technical achievement in its review, saying, the colors on the big screen are rich and luminous. The images are clear and sharp and rapid movements are... Are got without blurring. Mm, so yeah. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they it's went a big on deal. about this thing. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would just share a few little interesting tidbits, trivia, if you will, about mm-hmm. the film. I'm, I'm going to guess that you probably know some of this, Ashley. So if you want to jump in with anything, you have free. Okay, afraid. sure. First little tidbit. Sisters wasn't originally part of the script.
1: Now, I didn't know that. I knew that the reprise was not a part of the, the film.
0: Okay. Actually, that's what I meant. Oh. So I just didn't express it well. So okay. So tell me what you know about that.
1: Uh, well, I think that they were goofing off between sets and they were lip syncing it or something and the director thought it was the most hilarious thing. So he just added it into the script.
0: 100%. It said that Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye were goofing around. And as you said, the director was watching it, loved it. Here's the part that I thought was cute. It said in an effort to liven the performance up and to kind of, you know, get to Bing, yeah Danny Kaye improvised that moment when he begins to slap. You can see um, Bing actually yes, start laughing. Yes. Yes. It's genuine laughter. It literally. It said it caught him off guard and he could not stop laughing. And it's then, very then it, cute. And it, it cracked up Danny Ka a little bit too. And they thought that that was the best take. Like they yeah. wanted to use it. Yeah. So it ended up in there. Another little tidbit. The song Snow was written years before White Christmas. It was originally entitled Free and it had nothing to do with winter at all. In fact, going back to that idea we talked about mm-hmm. before, Rosemary, in his trunk. Yep, Rosemary <laughs> Clooney said it was one of his trunk songs ah. and that he had set it aside and then he pulled it out of his trunk and he rewrote it and used it I for his I wonder if purpose. he had an, a literal trunk or if that was I just know. what he called it. I wonder that as well. Hmm. And then... There's another little part in the movie where the Hain sisters tell Bob and Phil that their brother is working out of the country in Alaska. Alfalfa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That picture. Exactly. Well, why don't you finish the sentence so people know what, what we mean? Well, okay. Earlier in the movie, when they are in a scene in the overseas during the war, there's a picture or as a reference to the dog face boy mm-hmm. right
1: it's when they're changing clothes yeah they talk about the dog face boy how could he have sisters this good looking but then they show the picture of him and it's the i don't remember the actor's name but he played alfalfa the little yes. rascals
0: the point i was going to make here is they refer to being out of the country in alaska and that's oh, yeah, because yeah. the film was released in 1954 alaska was not part of the yes. u.s at that time yes it was it was just a territory so you were out of the country it wasn't until 1959 that alaska was a state so think Think about that. That's amazing. Yeah. So another interesting tidbit is that they had to change some lyrics for Bing Crosby. Irving Berlin had the song, of course, we we know it, Gee, I Wish I Was Back in the Army. And it said something about seeing Crosby, Hope, and Jolson all for free. Mm. Because they were big wartime entertainers. But then when Bing Crosby got cast in the movie, well, that would have broken the fourth wall to have referenced him. It turned into the lyrics we all recognize now, which was Jolson, Hope, and Benny all for free. That's cute. Yeah. Here's another one. I've got all kinds of interesting little tidbits from these sources. After the final shot had wrapped, the actors were told that they needed to redo the finale because the king and queen of greece were visiting the set and the producer wanted to give them something to remember so they had to reshoot the entire scene just for the king and queen but they didn't have bing crosby because he had left to go play golf (laughs) and they also didn't even bother to put film in the camera wow yeah oh here's here's a cute thing too one source said that when bing left to go play golf he told rosemary to cover for him
1: nice (laughs) yeah i mean how big a star are you that you can just you know i'm not going to appear for the king and queen of what you say, greece Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. going to go play golf instead.
0: Yeah. And yeah. they let him do it. Crazy. Just another little tidbit. This will be our last little piece of trivia. And then we're going to take a look at some of the casts. But Irving Berlin was nervous about how the film would be received. It's said that he wasn't always on the soundstage, but he would show up every day at the cast recording sessions for the soundtrack mm-hmm. and he would pace so much around the studio that finally they said that Bing Crosby went over to him and said, there's nothing we can do to hurt this song. It's already a hit, you know, like, <laughs> chill out, bro. Calm down. Calm down.
1: Okay. So do you want me to do any of my little trivia for uh, you? Yes, note? this okay. be a great time to do that. Okay, well, I won't, I won't go into the character assassination quite yet. I'll just do <laughs> the trivia stuff. So did you notice that at the, oh, I don't know if you watched the film, but the credits are actually at the top of the show. It's back when they used to do their credits Before the film You know now we do do the credits later And one of the credits was for Edith Head Have you ever heard of Edith Head? I have not Well she'd be a really cool episode Because she was a very famous costume designer Mm. But I think later on in her life She was almost kind of like the lady Well the entity that wrote the Nancy Drew stories She was a real person But then other people would do the work And it would Mm -hmm. just have her name on it So she was very prolific Because it wasn't always her doing it Maybe you're wrong But that's what I think I I remember oh this may be something to do in show notes we can post this do you remember a long time ago they used to have a cartoon that had Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra playing chickens and they would they would sing to the they would have singing contests I don't know okay I may have to I may have to post this but I can I have a memory of this cartoon where they played these crooner chickens and they were trying to get the chickens to lay eggs and who could get (laughs) which one (laughs) of them and I'm almost positive they had a Bing one and they had a Frank Sinatra one and they were saying what the girls were just swooning and they were like blah, 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 laying all the eggs. <laughs> oh, oh. Also, Bing added the spice to his line. So if you hear it's kinda like Jive talking, he said a slam bang finish or uh this hunk of dynamite, he would add that stuff. Mm-hmm. So he was just doing that.
0: That was mentioned that Rosemary even commented on it how much he would add lib. Yes. And because it was Bing Crosby They let him do like, it. They let him do it. Well he didn't even have to perform for the King and Queen of Greece. So we
1: That's know right. where, where he is ranks and stuff, higher than the King and Queen of Greece. <laughs> Uh, Vera Ellen's trademark was her high collars
2: mm-hmm.
1: did you know that Betty sang both parts of sisters
0: I read that I did yeah. not know that until I saw it mm-hmm. while I was doing Vera research. Ellen just lip syncs it mm-hmm.
1: oh this was kind of cute sisters plays in the background while Judy reads Betty's letter where she says she's taking a gig somewhere mm-hmm. else and they it's just something they're playing in the background but I thought that was really cute that is
0: cute it's always those little touches that kind of mm-hmm. make. that's it the last one I wrote
1: the rest is is uh, about the people all
0: right Right. So just to kind of move through some of the cast members and and hit on a few other tidbits that we haven't already talked about, of course, Bing Crosby, one of the biggest stars, huge, revered, we've already covered him so much Mm -hmm. that there's not a lot more to add, just the fact that he basically was the center of the film. and, And as we've already said, they would either... Build some of the dialogue around the way he talked, or just let him ad lib and put in his own phrases. In fact, Rosemary he had a lot Cl- of power. He did. Yeah, yeah. Ro- Rosemary Clooney said that the that little monologue when they meet in the lounge and they're having sandwiches and yeah. buttermilk was pretty much all improvised by wow. Bing Crosby on the spot. Wow. Yeah, he just, just and it sounded a,
1: very conversational mm-hmm,
0: because it was. He was just being himself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this, but somewhere I ran across this little piece of trivia that Bing Crosby's granddaughter happens to be. Denise Crosby, who appeared in Star Trek The Next Generation back in the late 80s. Hmm. And just a little crossover here. Rosemary Clooney's son, Miguel Ferrer, also acted in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. So we have a little Star Trek a connection space, between space connection. Their, interesting you know, descendants. And of course, we all know, moving on to Rosemary Clooney, beautiful singer, obviously, but could not dance. Really? That was one of the big <laughs> things. She would talk about it openly in the interviews. She was very forthright about that and so if you watch the film you will see she usually does very little movement very uh, little dance yes the only two real moments were in sisters and in the minstrel show medley and they said both times they kept her choreography incredibly simple or gave her props to try to make oh, it oh is like, that why they had those cutouts maybe oh i think so yeah Wow. Anything, she must have been terrible then yeah she really was I wonder not why. excited about dancing at all <laughs> you, i mean it, but was, did you
1: notice how much they had vera ellen dance I think she danced more than anybody else had a featured moment. Like Bing had a few solos. Of course, Rosemary had a few solos, but I didn't keep count. But it felt like we were constantly seeing her dance more than we saw the other ones, heard the other ones sing.
0: And I didn't know this until I was preparing for this episode, but apparently it's because she was considered to be one of the best dancers in Hollywood at that time. Like she was known for this. And I think in the same way that you would have thought of Fred Astaire, like you're going to let him Uh dance. Uh You're going to let Vera Ellen dance. Okay. Yeah, it was a big deal. So I thought it was interesting, though, the two sisters, one can't dance and the other one can't sing. And they pair them up and just you know just made make work. this work but yeah she played vera ellen played judy haynes while we as we've already said many times rosemary clooney was the one who played betty and as you said rosemary sings for vera ellen the only time we actually hear vera's voice is when they are disembarking the train in vermont and they sing the opening lines of snow oh it's actually vera ellen who says snow
1: oh that must be why mm-hmm. when when that happened i looked at brian i was like oh that sounded weird that sounded off so yeah. it my must be why she must have tried to sing it i thought it was danny k though i thought that's odd i thought danny k could sing it just hit my ear wrong
0: yeah you, you knew something was off but something you was off tell yep. what it was for the other songs it was mainly a lady named trudy stevens who did not get credited they dubbed that. her in
1: mm. mm-hmm. uh the biggest trivia i guess we haven't mentioned is clooney is her her famous nephew well, yeah. is
0: george clooney yeah just in case anybody don't know I'm, i don't know if he says aunt or aunt but he calls her aunt rosie
1: oh yeah not anymore
0: well, yeah, <laughs> actually, I <laughs> can not. I can nice cut that. Say. <laughs> okay, all right. Moving on. So as um, all right. So as we've said, Vera. Ellen was considered to be an amazing dancer. She had started dancing at the age of 10. At 18, she became one of the youngest Radio City Rockettes, and Mm. she performed in several Broadway shows before she headed to Hollywood. In fact, here's a little extra I'll give you. Growing up in Norwood, Ohio, which was a suburb of Cincinnati, she actually carpooled to dancing classes with Doris Day.
1: Oh, I love Doris
0: Day. Now, about the high collars. Yes. A lot of people say that the fact that you never saw her neck was because she had an eating disorder.
1: I would I would mm-hmm. think so. In one of those outfits, it's the one where she's got the red belt or it, it just looks like, oh, that is, that is too cinched. It's too cinched. That is
0: a lot of speculation mm-hmm. says that. However, I did run across... Bill Dennington, who is a longtime friend of Vera's, said in an interview, very Mm -hmm. publicly, all of her life, she wore something around her neck, a necklace, a choker, a scarf, a collar, etc. It was her trademark, Mm. like Van Johnson wore red socks. Mm -hmm. I saw her neck many times. It was lovely. Oh, okay. So her friend was saying, no. It's just something she decided to do. This is just her thing. Hmm. Yeah. Now, there were huge age differences. Speaking of these characters we've already introduced, Rosemary Clooney, of course, plays Betty Haynes. Mm -hmm. She's supposed to be the older sister to Judy, played by Vera Ellen. Mm -hmm. But Rosemary was actually seven years younger. Younger, Mm -hmm. okay. When the film came out, Rosemary was 26 Vera Ellen was 33. Now, (laughs) Bing Crosby was the love interest... To rosemary Clooney's character he was 51 when the movie debuted oh dear 25 year age gap
1: yeah but rosemary was a i don't mean this in a negative way it's like some of the people back then did not look their age they looked older than their age rosemary looks mature and in her i would say like 30 31 32 she doesn't look like a 20 year old just maybe it's the style of her hair or the way her makeup is done but she just looks mature and, i agree and it's just people of that era just kind of seemed ageless like mm-hmm. she could be any
0: age well and editorial comment I think even today we're too caught up in a number anyway Mm -hmm. I mean it's like what's believable on a film and here's another example the fella Dean Jagger who played the retired elderly general was actually born a few months after Crosby I mean they were that close Well, now
1: that is one thing I noticed I thought both of them Mm -hmm. Bing and Danny looked too old for their roles Bing looks about the same age as the general and for the general to call him son and he's smoking his pipe and it's like you guys look like your contemporary Prairies. Right. Yeah. And Danny looked like they were they should have been about ten years younger, probably.
0: Yeah, I agree. To make that timeline work out. So Danny Kay was multi talented. This fellow was known as not just an actor, of course, but as we saw in the movie, he could sing, he could dance, he was known to be a comedian. And when you look at his career, boy, does he cover a broad prolific. Oh, goodness. Yes. But a few highlights. He was really actually well known for running a radio program. There was a Danny Kaye show that ran on CBS in 1945 and 1946. And it made him become very popular. Mm. And then he actually had to kind of leave that radio show because started touring at the end of World War II on a USO. USO tour. Okay. And so they had to get some people to fill in for him. So he did a lot with this tour and when he came back he got more into the movies, I think, at this mm, point.
1: Okay. The thing that I know him from is my mom used to have a not used to. We we have a Christmas albums, you know, the famous mm-hmm. Christmas albums that would get put out by the stars. One of the songs on there was Jingle Bells. I think it was Jingle Bells, but it was a tongue twister. He would sing like Jingle Bell Jingle Bell Jingle all the way, Open Fun is Ratin When I'll open sleigh. and he would say it really fast.
0: As I was doing the research, I did see that his wife Sylvia Fine. It mentioned that she wrote many of the tongue twisting ah. songs for which he became famous. So apparently that was like a big thing for him. It must have been. All these tongue twisters. Those were the main actors in the movie. But just to share a few other interesting appearances Ashley had already shared with us that the dog faced boy Benny mm-hmm. Haynes who was brother to the two girls I just found his name. That's actually Carl Switzer. Oh, that's who yes. played Alfalfa in yes. the original Our Gang or, or we may know it as the little rascals. Mm-hmm. There is another interesting cameo by an uncredited dancer you may recognize at one part in the movie there's a scene where the sisters the Haines sisters are dancing with this one male dancer his name is George I think you would say it Chakiris maybe mm-hmm. and he later wins the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor as Bernardo in West Side Story <gasps> oh neat mm-hmm. okay when you look at it knowing that you recognize yeah, him yeah yeah mm-hmm. Bob Fosse was the uncredited choreographer I th- thought it looked like Fosse choreography. Right? I did. I, that was really cool choreography. And in case you're not familiar with Bob Fosse, he is the man who later went on to choreograph shows like Chicago, Cabaret, and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Very distinctive style. And then, you know what? I just see it in my notes. Actually, you had mentioned it already. Edith Head. She was already an Oscar winner by the time she worked on White Christmas. She was the designer. Mm-hmm. Those dresses, those costumes were gorgeous. It's said that throughout her life, she won eight Academy Awards for costumes design Mm -hmm. more than any other individual in that category and she won for classics like the sting sabrina and roman holiday right
1: but i would love eventually one day to do an episode about her because floating around in my head i think there's the thought that she may have been in in some cases she may have actually designed the costumes but later on it may have been more of a, a Group effort and mm. edith got the oscar just because it was her name
0: on it right so, but i'm not sure i don't want to disparage her unjustly
1: that just would be an interesting thing to look
0: into who is that author there's an author who writes adventure suspense books and now i don't think he even writes them anymore Net, it'll say his name his name with so and so that's the with that's doing it right i can't think of who it is off the top of my head
1: anytime you see a biography and it says with somebody it means it's being written by the person. Mm-hmm.
0: So awards, the film White Christmas only got nominated for one Academy Award. It was for Best Original Song for Count Your Blessings instead of Sheep, but it did not win. Really? Yeah. Wouldn't it would have been
1: funny if it had been nominated again for Best Song White Christmas and it won, it again. won again? Yeah.
0: yeah, they probably thought that, well, Let's let's share the wealth. Let's yeah. give it to somebody else. This was 1954 that this movie came out. So popular. Do you know the play did not come out until 2000? No kidding. I know. I did not know that. I did not know that either. Mm. I will tell you all that as I was trying to research the stage production, I could not find a lot. It was really hard to find information well, about the stage production. Having
1: co-directed it just a few years ago, it is similar but different. Mm-hmm. There instead of the housekeeper being named Emma, her name is Martha. Okay. But in both instances, and I just I just remember this clocking it, both instances the housekeeper does not show up until about forty-five minutes into the plot. Okay. In the stage and the, the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the beginning is fairly similar. I don't remember a whole lot of differences. Oh, Blue Skies is the end of Act One. It's a great show-stopping number. And, you know, you only hear it in just a little strains of the, mm-hmm. the music early on. It's been two or three years since we've done that. So I don't remember a lot of other differences in it. Uh, oh, I do remember another big difference is Martha is a more developed character. And she has a wonderful trio, Falling Out of Love. Oh. It's really funny fun song that she sings with betty and judy it's one of my favorite songs in the show
0: oh nice yeah well here's a little that i was able to find it said that the stage adaptation of the film which was titled irving berlin's white christmas did not appear until the year 2000 it premiered in St. Louis, at the St. Louis Municipal Opera Theater, to be exact, on July 17, 2000. It was performed other places, like San Francisco in 2004, but it did not hit Broadway until 2008. And it was just a limited engagement on Broadway at the Marquee Theater. And it started on November 14, 2008, and ran through January fourth, two 2009, for 53 performances and 12 previews.
1: That doesn't seem like a lot.
0: It No, it doesn't. And of course, after that, of course, I'm assuming it's been out to different mm-hmm. theaters such as yours mm-hmm. that, that's performed it. It's a musical in two acts. The music and lyrics are by Irvin Berlin. The book is by David Ives and Walt Blake. And of course, it's based on the Paramount Pictures film that we've been talking about for right. the last however long. <laughs> You've already told us they're not exactly the same. right? One of the challenges was the fact that the film moved between all of these settings, yeah. including mm-hmm. a, battlefield, a battlefield and a train. So the stage adaptation had to figure out how to deal Mm -hmm. with that Mm -hmm. and then there are a few as you've already said deviations in the plot points too but here is a quote from a principal actor from one of these you know original productions who was talking about the play this person this is just one person's opinion of course the feeling of the movie is absolutely the same but the script is not the same as the movie it's all the same characters but the plot is slightly different They still go to an inn in Vermont Mm -hmm. and put on the show in their barn, but the way the storyline unfolds is different. The songs are all the great Irving Berlin songs from the movie, but some of the production numbers are different. Do you agree?
1: I guess I'm trying to remember. And I thought we did a really amazing job with this show. I thought the dancing was wonderful, but I am trying to remember what is different about it one thing that i loved in the film and that i or we replicated i hope on stage is there is a song love in the weather that's added Mm -hmm. and it takes place between the two dressing rooms of bob and phil and betty and judy and they're singing but one of the things that happens in the film is one of my favorite scenes in the Mm -hmm. film is where they're getting dressed and they're, they talk to each other, and just the ease, and they're handing each other everything, and it just looks like something they've done a thousand times. Mm-hmm. So, for our poor actors... I wanted them to replicate that I wanted them to actually get dressed on stage which is Mm -hmm. something I really like doing if you can of course not down to their underwear or anything but they would go behind screens if they had to switch their pants or whatnot but I love I wanted to replicate that familiarity Mm -hmm. and so you really saw the relationship between these two characters and it ended up being one of my favorite scenes in the the play is just seeing them it was so fascinating every night because the audience was like oh they're really gonna do this oh wow (laughs) okay okay that was a new song I guess Susan's character was a little bit different she's younger she's only about 10 Mm -hmm. in the play where she's a obviously a teenager she's a little has a little bit more to do the susan in the movie is just sort of there to look winsome Mm -hmm. and adoringly at her grandfather and this one is a little more spunky and she has a song and martha's character like i said is more developed and she has a a cool solo she wants to be a broadway actor herself but i don't really know plot wise besides expanding martha what could be different
0: yeah so basically very similar just little nuances just little nuances
1: yeah the thing that's not different is they still made betty nuts (laughs) (laughs) We
0: need to hear more about that. I know. So one of the things that I remember from watching the performance you guys did, mm-hmm. Ashley, because that's the only time I've seen White Christmas performed as... A play. As, yeah, as a play, as a stage production. Mm-hmm. I remember The Train. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. The way way we bounced them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to share briefly, like, how you did that?
1: I think this was Kevin's idea, my co director. I think he had them bounce up and down so that it would look like they were riding a train, Mm -hmm. and everybody had to have synchronized movements of Mm -hmm. when it would move and they would move their bodies. And that was just very cool. And the song takes place with all the people on the train, not Mm -hmm. just those four characters.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I I could tell that it took some careful choreography Uh and and Uh a lot of practice, but it definitely was a great visual effect. Well, as I said, I couldn't find a lot, but one of the things that I found about the play that I loved was an article. It was written by David Ives, who is a famous playwright, and he was also the librettist, for the musical White Christmas. I had no idea what that word meant. I had to look it up. He wrote the words, the text for the vocal works. So basically, I guess a lyricist, I guess he had to add more of the words oh. to their songs or to whenever they were doing productions. Oh, okay. But I'd, I'd never heard that term used before. So anyway, he was in the thick of this. And so he had been watching back in 2004 when they were getting ready to premiere this musical in San Francisco. He was watching the director of that production work with the actors who were playing the male roles. The Bing Crosby and, and Bob Danny Kay parts. Bob mm-hmm. and Phil exactly and I thought what he shared this insight was very cool so this will be just a little bit of reading to you guys but I think I think you'll enjoy it too to set it up first the two actors were struggling they were doing this scene and they kept rehearsing it and rehearsing it and he said these were amazing actors Mm -hmm. but they just weren't getting it right like Mm -hmm. they weren't capturing the feel of it Mm -hmm. and so the director stops them and he gives them advice and so here's here's what it said I want to remind you of one thing this is a pre-neurotic pre-Sondheim musical we're doing. The year is 1954. Bob and Phil are not interested in their feelings or showing their feelings or showing what sensitive men they are. They're men of their time. They don't want to be sensitive. They want to be decent. Mm -hmm. They want to help their old army buddy the same way they'd help each other out of a jam without thinking. Mm -hmm. Forget about Bob and Phil. The scene isn't about them. It's about the general. Now let's try it again.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: And this fella who's reflecting says, you could palpably feel a sudden lightning of the mood in the whole room from the two actors and from everyone observing in the cast. It was the lightning that comes from revelation. Then lo and behold, when Brian and Jeffrey, those two actors, launch back into the scene, it was utterly changed. Mm. It was free. It was uncomplicated. It was joyous. And Mm -hmm. never again did a scene get stuck that way because everyone in the room knew that the director had gone to the heart of White Christmas. Mm-hmm. From that moment on, the show began to glow.
1: Yeah, it is about the general.
0: Everything they do is for the general. Uh, not this particular article, but a different one. Talked about the importance of the war. That, one that-
1: of Brian's favorite lines, he pointed out, what, he said, they're looking at the general and he says, we ate and then he ate. We mm-hmm. slept and then he slept.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's just looking at their friend and this person who had taken care of them and their decision that we're going to do whatever it takes to take care of him now.
0: Yeah, a, a totally different article that I didn't even really reference in this, but it, I just remember reading it. it was talking about a modern audience that we probably cannot relate as well as people of that generation <laughs> because we don't have a full appreciation <laughs> of the suffering and the trauma. <laughs> and and what... I
1: wonder if modern military people identify well, with this I as would, well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I, they probably obviously would, <laughs> would have a lot the more commodity. to connect to. But but they said the war was just such a part of everybody's life. Life and, and having to deal with you know the the after effects and and all of it mm-hmm. and that that was so central to this and as you said the relationships and the appreciation and the love and the the way that they that they were connected to each other and so i loved the reflection that this man that was put really out here insightful. and what that director said to yeah. those actors armchair psychologist so that observation actually leads us very nicely into my armchair psychologist question for you ashley what do you think makes white Christmas so enduring today mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's set in a time period, so long ago and centers around a war experience that that so few of us really do know much about because it occurred before we were born. Mm. So so why is it so enduring even today?
1: I don't know if I can fully answer just because like we've talked about and I don't know if you want me to go into it now about why Betty drives me so do it. Yes, so crazy. But okay, let's take let's take my feelings out of it. Firstly. So I would guess for the people who don't think of the Betty problem maybe it is that nostalgia the melancholy this simpler sweeter kinder time where you can kind of look back and it's just just a fun show and the costumes are beautiful the scenery is beautiful it's a beautiful film Mm -hmm. it's a lovely to look at film it's very iconic there's all of these beautiful elements to it it's hard for me to enjoy it because I can't get past my problem with the character of Betty even rewatching it I loved it up until the point like i was saying the housekeeper does that thing where she overhears and Mm -hmm. she hangs up the phone and then she relays information to betty who has just said the night before to bob that he is one of the kindest most decent men that she has ever met she takes this person that she has developed an opinion of who has proven and they kind of had a frosty start Mm -hmm. where she she seems to have this character flaw where she gets prickly Mm -hmm. really quickly and she gets offended very easily and so they have that little thing but they're still scooting closer to each other and they kind of Flirt their way through it So they fall in love They have their big kiss And the very next day She hears information That is completely Against the character Of the person That she is falling in love with And instead of just asking him Mm -hmm. Hey I just heard (laughs) this thing And Is this true? And him going Oh no 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 Here's what I plan to do That's literally all It would have taken (laughs) She turns into this frosty ice queen and he tries men of that era usually not trying to generalize men of that era typically did not talk about feelings but he attempts things he goes hey what's going on let's talk about this Mm -hmm. what's you know not a big deal if you were upset about the kiss it's just a little kiss you know tell me tell me what's happening and she won't do it she walks away she will not do it and anytime that someone is that she ghosts him she won't answer him that's problematic to me and and to (laughs) me i'm like bing take all these little red flags and go f- make yourself a scarf and get out of there. Because I think you'd be better off without her. And then something else that she does <laughs> is she goes to the carousel club, right? She gets mm-hmm. this new thing. So she she abandons her sister. And they, they have a contract with the general, remember? That's He's right. going to pay them anyway. She leaves in the middle of a contract that is not finished and goes to the carousel club. She figures out what's happening. She leaves that place and goes Back to the end. (laughs) So Betty has now broken two contracts. Betty is a bad business person. Betty does not know how to control her feelings, and she does not know how to resolve conflict. It drives me zonkers. I think Betty just, just... talk to him and figure things out. And you don't need that conflict. We have enough conflict with the show just being, are they going to be able to help the general out? It could just be as simple as that. And just like a Mickey and Judy, let's put on a show. But we had to throw this big monkey wrench in there. The other thing is Danny Kaye and and Vera Ellen are all about setting themselves up. And then when they get falsely engaged, Danny Kaye suddenly acts like she's got, I don't know, rabies or something. And he's just like, oh, I don't want to touch you. I don't want to kiss you. And then... It's like, what is wrong with you all? They just, they're that. That's that's my problem. That is so That's funny. a summar, summarization of my problem.
0: Okay, I'm going to say I've always been annoyed by the whole Betty, the, you know, the misunderstanding, all of that as well. Although I forgave her very easily. But you've brought up an interesting point. I, I feel like it was orchestrated, right? Like the whole point is the audience needed to see how incredibly decent and wonderful Bing Crosby's character we was. We saw that anyway. We did. I agree. But but I believe that that was the idea behind that move on the part of the writers. Yeah. And we just needed... They wanted us to just to see what a wonderful man he was and also to show how much it meant to Betty's character. She values... Morality and decency, but and she's not being decent. Well, that's the funny part she's is until you, until you said that, it had yeah. never occurred to me how ironic it is yeah. that she's not being decent. Yeah. herself Anytime
1: you have a conflict with another person, and instead of just talking to them and straightening it out, I've had that you know in past where you've had something with a friend and they just won't talk to you. Just mm-hmm. let's talk about it. Let's straighten it out. It don't be this ghosty ghoster. She's just she's acting a fool. <laughs> she's just acting like a fool.
0: Well, I love that perspective because i had never really thought about it that way before. I just was annoyed. I just was annoyed Mm -hmm. by the whole misunderstanding. It was like, come on. But I saw what I thought was the purpose behind it. And I guess that's what I'll say is I think that that's one of the reasons why I do think it's enduring is because it's about decency and helping yeah. others. Yeah. And, and, and being self-sacrifice. Yeah,
1: Bing and Danny have amazing chemistry, and they're the the scene with the general when the gen when they trick him and he comes out mm. and his face yeah. and he gets so emotional. I felt myself getting like that swell of emotion with how much this meant to him that his men. Still came back. And how when he appears on the television, he says, you know, I know it's a lot to ask you, but if you could just come for the general, it's for the
0: general. And those Mm -hmm.
1: men packed up and they showed up Mm -hmm. for their general.
0: Yeah, that's the part that always got me. Yeah. yeah, And that actor, you know, the general doesn't have a big part in that movie, Mm -hmm. but he does such a good job of... Of appealing to my emotions. Yes, very and that much. Scene with those soldiers. Oh my goodness, it gets me every time. Me too. In fact, quick funny story. My husband is not a huge fan of musicals. I mean, some of them, especially if he knows the music and he likes it, he you know he'll go for it. But I had convinced him. He'd never seen White Christmas, the film, mm-hmm. and they were doing one of the regional theaters at Derby Dinner Playhouse. They mm-hmm. were doing several years ago White Christmas, and I convinced him, You will like this. And I, you know, oh, the the military and, the, and the, there's wonderful scenes and et cetera. Got him to go. Turns out it was a musical review. It was not actually the story. Oh, it was no. not the stage it play. Was just songs. And it was nothing but songs. There wasn't, <laughs> I don't know if there was a storyline at all. I don't, I'm not sure there were two lines of dialogue. I probably in that Enjoyed that more because we would
1: have taken the problematic
0: Betty element straight out of it. My poor husband. But suffered through. But when I told him he would like it, I was thinking of exactly the what we were just talking mm-hmm. about—the relationships and mm-hmm. and that moment at the end. One when, thing is really
1: cute is when Emma, the housekeeper, kisses him, and then she kiss or she kisses Danny and then her Phil, and he says his idea, and then she kisses um, Bob, and then Bob's like, "Woo, come here again." <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he should have gone for the housekeeper instead of for <laughs> Betty, who is not good in business ventures.
0: Maybe. Well, to wrap things up, I think this is a nice nice build on that a nice piggyback going back to that same fella david ives who worked with the original production Mm -hmm. in that same article he turned from the story that that reflective story that he shared with us and he was talking about if you wanted to produce this play yourself if you were an actor or a theater group that wanted to put this play on he had advice to give okay and here is what he said if i had any advice to give performers directors designers launching into this show it would be this outward simplicity and inner generosity Mm. outward simplicity means not hammering jokes in the contemporary sitcom smirking slash mugging manner Mm. but letting laugh lines land as they will with all the modest ease of 1954 the humor has to come from character not from knowingness inner generosity means making your every acting objective about the other person Mm. speaking and listening are more important than trying to be funny here because it's humanity that's on offer not snappy lines. In short, this show can't be played as a musical of today. To work, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it has to remain true both outwardly and inwardly to the era the movie it's based on was written in. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons people want to see White Christmas, because they want to inhabit that more innocent world of 1954 for a couple of hours, a world of uncomplicated friendships and simple open feelings. It's the world of everyone's inner Christmas, where Scrooges are transformed and true love comes wrapped as a gift and snow falls mm. when it's supposed to. Oh, I love that. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. I thought that'd be a good way to end. I agree. Cheers to all the people involved with White Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. And happy Christmas to our listeners. Yes, Merry happy Christmas, Christmas,
1: happy holidays. Thank you guys for listening to us. Cheers.
0: Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website,
1: www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast.
0: This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special
1: thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website
0: and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.